What's up, everybody? Welcome to Love Music More. I am your host, Scoobert Dubert, joined by a very, very special guest, Philip Broussard. Um, what's up, Phil? How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, this looks this is cool. I'm super, super excited to chat. We um, we met for the first time in person at the NAMM show. Um, for those of you that, that don't know, Philip, Phil has worked on some very big big records um, with a bunch of really awesome artists like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Adele, Justin Timberlake, Eminem, Muse, and longtime uh, person that worked along with Rick Rubin. And that's all really, really cool stuff. Um, and so what we were thinking about today was kind of giving both music fans and up-and-comer uh, producer engineers kind of a look at what it looks like to be in some of those big sessions to set up for them and then all the way out to the kind of the mixing process. So why don't we start there? So obviously you have a home studio. Um, you've also worked in a bunch of other big studios and stuff like that. Um, what, what's your mindset for even before the artist shows up? What do you like to do to like set up the studio, set up the vibe, and kind of um, do your pre-session work? Sure. Uh, it depends, actually. Uh, depends mm-hmm. what we're going in for. If it's a rock band, if it's a songwriter, if it's a vocalist, uh, and what have you, we will take that into consideration, uh, not to mention uh, personnel. Are we cutting okay. a live band? Are we cutting a singer? Are we doing an overdub with a guitar player? So it kind of runs the gamut. But once we find out what the layout's going to be, that's going to, if it's a live band session, then we figure, you know, we figure out what we're going to cut live. If it's a, uh, typically in a band situation, drums, bass, guitar, mm-hmm. a piano or keyboard if we need to. And vocals. Uh, and then we'll, depending on where we are, we'll figure out we're going to put the vocalist in the live room with the band cool. and have like an SM7 mic and have them far right. away from the drums as possible just to get a scratch vocal. Or you've probably seen those, uh, what are they called? The whisper rooms. You ever seen those yes. yep. booths? We uh-huh. would get those, uh, use use those to have them in the live room or have somebody in like a legitimate vocal booth with a piece of, you know, piece of glass right, in the wall where we can see everything. The idea is to keep everything live off the floor, including cool. the vocals. There is a cool. live element that happens, you know, right, in right. in music with a live band. Um, and so once we figure out what that will be, then we'll go in. Hopefully we have enough mm-hmm. time where we mm-hmm. can load in gear. Cool. If, it's, yep. if it's all rented gear, load right. in the gear. Typically the day before, start mm-hmm. setting up. We'll go out with a, you know, start out with a plot on how we're going to place everybody for eyesight, lines of vision, clear communication. Cool. Does baffling need to happen between live guys? Are we cutting acoustic guitars? Are we cutting electric guitars? Mm-hmm. Amp Amps need to be isolated or it's going to be in a round setting, all acoustic, you know. Cool. We'll take those into consideration and then we start, setting up typically the day before and we'll hang mics uh plug in eq compression and start running test recordings it might be me and another guy Mm -hmm. might be me and a couple of guys but i'm definitely we're definitely going to hang mics we're going to get signal to pro tools which we use not you know anything else um Mm -hmm. or tape we'll do a test recording or several test recordings we're plugging in earphones monitoring situation and uh, 
plug in a, a plate reverb or a hall yeah. reverb or a delay, anything that we think the song and obviously the genre of music would call for, we do all of that the day or the night before so that when we walk in and the producer comes in and the band comes in, people can just sit down and start recording, start playing. They can hear one another in the headphones. Yeah, I mean, we've got to make some adjustments because... Sure. You, you, Everybody plays differently. Drummer hits harder or quieter or whatever. A, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And typically on a live session or a drum session, yeah. we'll usually typically start with the drums. And ideally, mm-hmm. not this is not always, not everybody can always have the luxury of having six or eight different snare drums, if not yes. a couple of different yeah. kick drums. Yep. Because each snare will have its own different character. And depending what type of song it is, you might not want a big, low, fat snare. You might want a crisp, sharp, right. you know, snare that's got some quickness to it. So we'll be able to kind of test a few of those out. We mark them. Um, cool. Same with guitars. You know, we mm-hmm. kind of go through some things. Hopefully we can get a band member, a couple band members there. Certainly when we're choosing drums, the drummer's there because mm-hmm. we want to hear the drummer play. We want to sure. select cymbals, yeah. you know, yep. hi-hats, right. kick and right. snare combinations. Mm-hmm. But typically... That's how we kind of approach the setup for the session like uh, in, a, in a band setting. And then yes. so that when everybody hits the room, it's forget all the technical stuff and mm. just start like recording. I like it. Yeah. Like it. So there's nothing else stage. to think That's about. Nice. You know, it's just yeah, let the yeah. freedom, let the freedom flow, <laughs> let exactly. the creativity and flow. <laughs> and you're able to uh, hopefully eliminate some of that, you know, Linear problem solving. That's what one of my mentors said that the recording day, that's kind of what it is. It's like you, you do the creative stuff and on the front end and then it's like, crap, this cable's got hum or, you know, the the drummer does, plays his hi-hat like way too loud and it's like we got to play it, mess with miking and stuff like that. Absolutely. That, that, that frees you up to do those things. And, and never, it never fails. I mean, like, and when that <laughs> happens, when, you're, when you start recording, mm-hmm. a, cha- a channel on the console will go out. Yes. You just don't know which one. And so <laughs> maybe maybe in between a take, you know, uh-huh. let's take two minutes. I got to move this EQ. I got to switch this channel strip out. I need to replace this mic cable, you know, or what have yes. you. It's happened. And who was it? Someone told me a long time ago that engineering mm-hmm. is 90% troubleshooting cool. than it, yes. than it totally. is anything totally else. Agree. You know, because something's going to go. There's too many variables at play. Something's going to go out and you just got to be able to deal with it swiftly and efficiently so that the creative vibe doesn't really get interrupted. Yeah, I I actually um, before I did recording engineering, I worked in like tech support. Oh. And then when I went to, I was like, this is the same thing. <laughs> totally. It it's really like, okay, is. where, where in this chain of 50 things is it going wrong? It's like, um, it's like Christmas lights, the old Christmas lights where like one bulb goes out and just blows out the whole thing. It's like, okay, we got to find it. <laughs> yeah. And they used to mark one with a little bit of a shade on oh, one yeah? of the tip of the light bulbs. Okay. So, okay. But then, then you change that and you can't find out which oh. one it is after that. So you're going down the line. Yeah. <laughs> So especially when it's on the tree, it's really tricky when it's on the tree. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, I, I, I suppose that you could say that similar things could happen like with patch bays. If you had a few of the connections get go bad or something like that, it could just drive you crazy. For those that have seen in the recording studios all those million colorful cables plugged into a bunch of little tiny holes, uh, routing all the outboard gear. What, what, um, how do you like to like kind of 
it visualize setting that up, like your layout, knowing, okay, we're going to um, have these channel strips be for vocals and for bass and for drums. And then we're going to, you know, like what, what, what's kind of like your checklist when you're setting that stuff up, like saying, okay, we're going to get that LA2A over here and, you know, yeah. prioritization and stuff like that. If we're, wor- if we're working in a, in a pro studio, you know, that's, yeah. you know, that's what they do for a business. It's a commercial facility. We, mm-hmm. we pretty much leave everything in the racks. Cool. Uh, we don't pull anything out of the rack and, and get it close to us. Uh, we leave it all there because it's all connected. It's been there that way. We're not yeah. there to interrupt anything. Uh-huh. Um, but also that being said, uh, certainly when I think about the Rick sessions that we did with, you mm-hmm. know, um, uh, Chili Peppers or System or, or Linkin Park or Slipknot, we typically would bring a set of mic pre's and EQ's, a bunch of oh, Neve cool. preamps. We, ha- we, Neve we had our own. Nice. So uh, we'd have a couple racks of eight. So it could be 16 or 24 different ones in addition to a console, depending on cool. how big the layout was. Obviously, a band like Slipknot, there's nine guys in the band. Yep. We Great. don't need that big of a console when it's a smaller band. But mm-hmm. um, we typically would bring some outboard gear with us, a bunch of mic pre's, maybe some mics if we if we had them, uh, okay. or something very specific. Um, mm-hmm. Some guys, you know, we would bring mics and bring some fun boxes, maybe a, a level lock or mm-hmm. uh, you know a pedal or something to get some coloration. We, obviously, we would mm-hmm. mic our drum kits kind of normally how everybody would, right? Kick drum inside the or a microphone. In kick inside the kick drum or on the outside and on the outside of the kick drum, snare top and bottom, overheads, you know, each tom mm-hmm. mic'd up. And that could vary from different types of microphones for whatever sound we were going for. But sure. also in addition to that, we might put some, put something on an auxiliary send. Okay. From one of the one of the drums or two of the drums or multiple of the drums and send it to a crazy smash compressor, nice. like a level lock. Yeah. Now it's the devil lock on the software mm-hmm. side. Right. Or Sound we toys. would use a, uh, yeah, totally. Or mm-hmm. we would use um, Sansamp pedal or mm-hmm. something along those lines. Just yeah. to, and we might even put something on the room mics. You know, we cool. might have yep. two or three different pairs of room mics. Mm-hmm. Some really far back, high up, maybe some low okay. to the ground, close, oh, maybe nice. one or okay. two near kind of the kick drum and snare drum area for these for these room mics and these effect mics are you are you rolling off top and bottom like or are you kind of like visual like visualizing them differently like those lower ones maybe getting more low mid and the top ones getting more air or something like that where you could be yeah uh yeah we we kind of experiment um we don't spend a whole lot of time on them because these are more things Mm -hmm. to add coloration and character yeah later on as we get further down we're not monitoring them in the studio during playback. These are just okay. things that okay, we're kind of recording. We'll mm-hmm. li- we listen to them to get the sound that we like and how it complements um, the sounds, but uh, we just record them and kind of keep the faders down and don't really monitor them. Just make sure that there's no problems. We'll check on them every o- so often, but we're not, when we're cutting a band and when we're yeah. playing back for the band, we're hearing the raw mics cool. and we want it to sound... In a Rick mm-hmm. in a Rick session, we want it to sound like a record as it's going down as quickly as possible. Cool. So we're listening cool. to all of the close mics and mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of reverb if necessary, but typically things are pretty dry and in your face, mm-hmm. so we can hear how the band is really kind of reacting to each other. That's but, awesome. So, but back to your uh, question on setting up and those sorts yeah. of things, we would bring in, uh, yeah, uh, mic pre's, EQs, and start setting setting that stuff up because. Though, so typically, the external pre's, the, the knees and stuff, would typically go for drums. We would mm-hmm. also put bass in there, too. We would put mm-hmm. guitars in there, too. 
uh, depending how many channels we had, because what that does is allows the first, let's say, let's say 24 tracks on the console not to be going to Pro Tools. These can be returns. It's a very luxurious way to kind of work now. For sure. um, but we, we could free up those faders so that we could kick drums coming back on one, snare drums coming back on two, and it just so on down the line. So we can turn things up and down on the console, not in the computer. Right, because awesome. if there's multiple yep. guys in the room, one guy working a mouse on the computer, and we have control services as well, if need be, the you know, D command or or something like that. But um, typically on the Rick sessions and stuff, we like to work on a console so mm-hmm. we can really get that that analog sound coming back, and we can mute pan things really quickly on the desk and not do it in the computer so that we get a quicker sense of what we need to do if something's not working or how well something is working and we like it this way. But also that being said, since we're doing so many things on the console, so many moves and EQs uh, or panning moves and so forth, Anytime we're we're tracking, I'm pointing to the screen over here here on recording in Pro Tools, our thing, uh, our interview here. but we're also printing down a live mix as well. Okay. So anytime from, we're from cutting the from the from console, the yep. absolutely, because mm-hmm. inevitably somebody, a band member mm-hmm. or even the producer, is going to want to take home a rough mix. For sure. And absolutely. instead of spending a lot of time, let's say you cut five tunes that day, instead of yep. spending a lot of time at the end of the day making rough mixes, we'll just have a board mix ready to go. We can give them to them as they're leaving Dropbox it, put it on a thumb drive, CD even, if we even still, still yeah, no. can use the CD term now. <laughs> but uh, that's what we do. So we always we always have a reference of how the tracking day went, and we can kind of hear the development over time. So anytime we're recording a live band, we're always printing a two-mix. I like that. I like yeah. that. And then that's that's cool, too, because then you're, you're able to kind of ideate and play with some panning things and maybe make some decisions down the pipeline for when you're in the mixing. Absolutely. That makes a total sen- ton yeah. of sense. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit more on drums, just because okay. I yeah. feel like every recording engineer that drums are so difficult because they're full frequency spectrum. You know, you get the lowest of the lows, the highest of the highs, and it drives the entire tune. And everything else has to like tuck within them. Like you still have to have room for vocals. You still have to have room for guitars. Absolutely. Um, would love to just like think about just philosophically when you're looking at okay, I'm I'm gonna do like slipknot or red hot chili peppers and we're gonna get that live band feel sure um when you're close micing these drums are you are you trying to like are you trying to just get the most amount of putty that you can play with later in the mix or are you trying to like say okay this is where i want the snare drum to kind of live in comparison to the vocal and to the guitar like are you making those decisions in real time or are you solving those problems later down the pipe in the mix we're making those decisions in real time that's very thought out um kind of goes back to when we were talking about the setups on drums and so forth we'll audition uh, slipknot a metal a metal drum sound right Uh um very tacky kick drums yep pretty kind of attack and pretty tight snare drums pretty Uh tight toms cymbals you know a metal a metal drum sound um We'll audition. You know, the drummer, obviously, with anyone that we're working with, we want the drummer to bring in their drums. We want the guitar mm-hmm. player to bring in their guitars, et cetera. Cool. That's their yep. sound. That's their thing. That's their comfortability. Um, two very different drum sounds, Chad, yeah. uh, totally. you know, uh, and Slipknot, Joey and... and uh, cool, yeah, Jay, Jay Weinberg. Jay Weinberg, thank you so much. Um, 
amazing drummer, by the way. Um, so yeah, two very different uh, drum sounds, and we'll audition different kick drums. We'll audition kick uh, different snare drums, hi hats, cymbals, toms, everything. Um, we'll know. I mean, we obviously know what songs we're going to cut, or a pretty yeah. good idea of the batch of songs we're, that we want to cut, mm-hmm. and then we'll change snare drums and or kick drums based on those songs. Okay. Do they need a big open sounding snare? No. Mm-hmm. Probably need something tighter, more quicker, uh, et cetera. Does it have the, the body? Does it have uh, Does it have enough chain or snare mm-hmm. on the bottom to have that cut through? Or mm-hmm. do you want it kind of boxy, kind of woody, okay. big yep. sounding drum? Mm-hmm. The, obviously, the bigger sounding drum, more space it takes up. In, mm-hmm. the, in the in the stereo right. field, you know, right. same thing exactly. with a kick drum, you know, yep. still got to fit yep. bass, guitars, but we know the songs and, you know, there's been times where we're working on a song as a band and it's like, yeah, the snare drum's not working, you know, mm-hmm. we'll hear one or two takes and it's like, I think we should, let's play with the snare drum, let's, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe I, I'm not saying these, Rick's saying this or mm-hmm. Greg Fiddleman or, or mm-hmm. you know, somebody's making these decisions. Sure. Uh, if not, if not the drummer in question, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think the snare drum's working. I don't like it. It's too mm-hmm. tinny. It's too tight. Mm-hmm. It's too big. It's too soft. You know, what have you? And yeah. we'll address it right then and there, just mm-hmm. so because as we're cutting as a live band, you know, mm-hmm. we wanna we wanna hear it sound. Like I said, we wanna have it sound like a record as quickly as possible. We don't really wanna leave anything left to deal with later on because that's just mm-hmm. more work. Absolutely. And we need it. We need to make decisions stat based on what we're hearing. Yeah. Right. I I like the way that you're putting it too. like make the decision. Yeah, we're committing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We're committing because we're all here. We're all there Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. from 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 songwriter to performer to producer to engineer. And maybe those people are mixing. Maybe they're Mm -hmm. not the people Mm -hmm. that are recording the record. And you never know. But yeah, that's yeah. not the job. We're not thinking about mixing. We're thinking about uh-huh. recording and performing. Yes. So we're going to, you know, focus all of our attention to detail as if we're mixing it right now, right here, right now. Cool. We want this to cool. sound as finished as possible. So if the kick drum's not working, let's change it out. Snare drum's yeah. not working, let's change it out. The cymbals are too splashy. Let's get something mm-hmm. darker mm-hmm. or crisper, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that then helps us get a better idea of what's starting to work. And then maybe we realize we changed the drums and we realize maybe the bass is the wrong bass too. Mm-hmm. It's the wrong mm-hmm. amp. Yeah, it's the you wrong. You change one, one puzzle piece and then the other one has to be tweaked as well. Yeah, Totally, exactly. totally, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And certainly when you get into writing, yeah. then when you're writing, then that can, that can change too. And maybe somebody likes the drum sounds. It's like, no, I think mm-hmm. this is right. Maybe it's the wrong bass. Maybe it's the wrong key. Let's, okay, you yeah, know, right, right. You know, what's the wrong key? Maybe it's not yeah. an electric song. Maybe it's all mm-hmm. acoustic song. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the right drums and not sticks. Maybe we do blastics. Totally. You know, totally. the little uh, hot rods. I just, exactly. I just or, picked these yeah, up. A brush. This is so weird. This remix. It's a. It's like a wooden brush. Hold on. Can I see that rad. again? Who yeah, makes those? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vic Firth. I've not seen yeah. those. They're rad. Yeah. They're rad. They're a bunch of alternative materials. Um, I don't know if you can. Yeah, it's like, for it's sure. It's really weird. It's like, a, it's like a brush, but it has a little bit more of the, um, the wooden attack. It doesn't have that, that brightness. Yeah. That a, a standard metal brush yeah. would, but I, I'm with you. Changing all those different inputs is going to get a different output. Um, and I also really like that what you keep coming back to is 
change the instrument itself, change the way that you're interacting with it. Like obviously mics and all these things definitely play a factor, but when you have the choice, just change the snare drum. It, maybe it's not the mic, maybe it's the the source. More in uh, again, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not everybody has the luxury of to have the budgets and the big studios uh, sure. at their beckoning call on on a caliber mm-hmm. of project like that. But mm-hmm. um, more often than not, we always go to the source first because cool. you've got to have confidence in your signal chain to know what you're doing. And it's mm-hmm. one thing if you're really carving in on the EQ or you don't have the mic that you want, you've got to dig hard into compression or or mm-hmm. mic pre or whatever to get a, a specific sound. That's one thing. But um, typically, I would always recommend to go to the source first. Um, we can be aggressive in recording, no doubt mm-hmm. about it. Certainly if we're trying to put a fingerprint or some sort of stamp on the recording. Mm-hmm. Yep. But more often than not, it's easy. It's uh, Easy is a subjective term. <laughs> it's not easy yeah. to pull out a, two kick drums on a big metal drum set of like five toms and an array of cymbals. You know, that takes right. oh, takes yeah. a few minutes because you don't want to move anything after you got everything uh-huh. mic'd up and all <laughs> you your phase correlation. It, it can be tricky. But yes. typically go to the source first because that might mm-hmm. be the quickest thing that's going to make a change than your signal chain. Um, yes. So we have confidence yes. in our signal, our signal chain. So, yeah, we go to the source quickly pretty quick and you're going to know either that snare drum and we might go through six snare drums and really only two of them work you know yep Yep. and i mean uh, something that i had recently in a session the drummer brought different kick beaters of course that's a great idea haven't (laughs) been in many sessions like that yeah should do that every time totally totally yeah you've got the hard on one side the hard plastic you got the soft felt on the other especially when we're you know we're talking about two uh very contrasting bands between, you know, Slipknot and Chili Peppers where it's like, couldn't be more different kick yeah. drum, like modalities or focuses. Sure. You know, and, and so sure. you'd probably be like, hey, maybe, uh, maybe we use different beaters on those two different sessions. Yeah. And I remember, <laughs> I think we had Chris Dave play on, uh, cool. on, on the Adele stuff, uh, when yeah. we did 21 and he awesome. had like the old school soft. Yeah. The felt kind of. Yeah, the soft yeah. felt beater. You know, great nice. sound. Great Super sound. Super good sound, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then also then like to kind of talk about his drum set for just a quick yeah, second. Yeah, that sounds fun. I'm a big um, fan of Chris Dave. Yeah. Big fat Thanks. marching snare drum Sick. off to his left-hand side, you know, and then nice. ha- you had rattles and little percussion cool. things sitting on his drums and yep. a very unique, identifiable drum set that was you know, amazing, it, it completely mm-hmm. different from, from Jay or from Chad, you know, obviously fitting the material, fitting the genre, sure. yeah. but different sizes of symbols. We would have tape on certain symbols, just different sounds. Cause it's really an ensemble kit in metal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an ensemble kit, but it's got, it's serving a purpose as well. But when mm-hmm. you have more open laid back music, um, that's got more space, you can have more characters, so to speak, maybe lack yeah. of a better term, uh, to have more character and, and more unique voices in the drum set that give something different than than just a standard drum set totally totally um yeah some of my favorite drummers uh nate smith and oh, uh, yeah. lewis cole they, they do they'll do like you know stacking splash symbols on snare drums and super Ex- cool stuff. exactly yep. exactly uh I was going to say drum heads also play a big factor drum in that heads. too. Yep. Um, yep. We were talking about the the metal beater kick. You can also get the uh-huh. flam pads. Yes. Uh-huh. Or without uh-huh. them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, totally. But Evans heads to me sound yep. very different than Remo heads. Definitely. 
You know, totally so uh, those are, I mean, again, those aren't cheap and you start yes. r- running through heads. I know. I it's going to, it's your, your cost is going to add up, but, mm-hmm. um, and there's some really great drum heads out there, certainly for the sound that you're going for. So those are conversations, obviously we all kind of have to have with the drummer mm-hmm. going in knowing, okay, this is going to be more of a ballad. We want more of those, uh, you know, fiber skin kind of heads with brushes yep. and dark, yep. warm symbols with mallets than yep. say, you know, something very bright, pointy, yeah, kind of thing. Like a, a gospel record or something. You're gonna, yeah, really yeah. bright symbols and yeah, yeah. Um, love all that. Um, I, really curious. Two two of my favorite things to talk about. Um, overheads. Uh, we were just talking face. Uh, uh, getting phase right and and measuring stuff. Could you explain to the listeners some some of the listeners like you know probably have never and never will go into a recording studio. Can you talk about kind of how you're measuring out the distance from the microphones, why that matters and um, kind of how that plays into that end result? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're getting so technical. I love it. Yeah, man. It's fun. Um, Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we measure microphones from the top, Mm -hmm. from the top of the snare head to the microphones up top. We want them to be equal and we want them to, you know, we want the drum set to sound what did I say earlier? Like an ensemble kit and how yep. that snare reacts yep. to those mics. Sometimes we're miking cymbals. Sometimes okay. we're miking the drum set. It really sort of mm-hmm. depends on what, what we're doing. Right. But face right. correlation is is huge so that the microphones are getting the source at the same time as everything else essentially is what we're, we're trying to achieve. And we do the same thing with room mics. Well, okay. we measure room mics. We want them to be equidistant as well. That number is arbitrary, whatever you decide to do. Um, you can, and again, sometimes depending on the room, depending on the genre and the sound, you could have close mics, medium mics, and then far back mics. And we can play with those wideness and yep. how far back. And that's going to create several different sounds of whatever we're going for. But, and I must say for any drummer or engineer people out there, when yep. you have a day off and you have your own place or you have downtime at the studio that you may work at if you're an intern or employee, see if your manager person will let you bring in a buddy with a drum set and just yeah. forget the close mics on the drum set. Do yes. the do the tests on the room sounds. Mm-hmm. That's super fun as well. Super. And you can get some super cool drum sounds that way. In fact, one of my favorite records yeah. of all time uh, is by a band called Talk Talk, an uh, English Talk band Talk. from the 80s. Okay. And they made a record... Late 80s, 88, 89. Cool, I'm pulling them up. It's called Laughing Stock. Laughing Stock. Yeah. There's a whole story behind that about they, Polydor put it out, but their engineer, uh-huh. Phil Brown, is uh-huh. the guy who made this record. Uh-huh. And he worked with, he made a few of them. And um, Phil wrote a book a couple of years ago, several years ago now, called Are We Still Rolling? And he, he was an old Olympic studio guy, made a bunch of island records with Chris Blackwell, a bunch of Bob Marley stuff, Traffic whole bunch of records he's an older guy but he made this this laughing stock record with talk talk Mm -hmm. and the drum sound on majority of this record as he says in his book is one single u47 microphone like i don't know how many meters down the hall but that's what he says he said they recorded the whole drum set Mm-hmm. But then in the end, when they got down to, like, final mix, they ended up using just the room sound. Very cool. And I thought, wow. And they had to offset it 
Uh, mm-hmm. I think for when they were doing huh. overdubs because there was such a delay. Because <laughs> there's such a delay from yeah, the and they sound were on like an old thirty-three forty-eight digital tape machine or something, cool. or maybe cool. the Mitsubishi. Um, but I thought, wow, that is quite a statement to say that. Yeah, the drum sound is just a single U forty-seven microphone, yeah. 12, 15 feet away. Yeah, but that was that's the part that. Phil Harris, I think, was the drummer. I think that's the part he played. It was uh-huh. the it fit the vibe of the tune, and that was awesome. the sound that they were able to like use, right? Yeah. But well, how many people have you said? Oh yeah, we're just going to do a U forty seven. Yeah, exactly. We'll just that's throw what it we're going to go for. I mean, that's yeah. cool if that you're going to start off like that. Like, right, okay, right. that's that's a that's a goal. Cool, I love yeah, it for sure. But yeah, I mean that, and that it's funny because that like you're saying sometimes the you that's a choice. Sometimes it's the necessity breeding that innovation where it's like we've got a U forty seven guys, like a very nice microphone, and <laughs> yeah. that's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. That's right. That's <laughs> let's right. make it work. Um, you know, just like bedroom producers, like how many, how many vocals on this microphone are there? Is yeah. It, you know? But also I would like to say this, that I do yeah. think is important Please. about microphones yes. uh, and a U47, you know, whatever, a Neumann, Telefunken mm-hmm. 251, any of these Uber brand textbook examples of like classic yes. German engineering microphones. They're amazing. They're gorgeous. They have all these sonic qualities that we all love. However, what I think is something that's a bit overlooked, a lot of people think that if you record on those microphones, your vocals are going to be great. Huh, yes. And that, and they're, they're not wrong, but mm-hmm. there are better microphones. Scratch that. There are other microphones that suit better other people's voices. Yes. So yes. some people think, okay, yeah, we're using a U47. It's a $40,000 microphone. It's made in the 40s and the 50s. It's all tubes. Great. And then there's a $400 microphone right here that you and I both are talking into, which mm-hmm. is equally as good based on that person's voice and yes. performance. Yes. And some voices, those those large diaphragm microphones, they're not for everybody's voice. Mm-hmm. And so there became a stigma for a while there. Well, well, you got to sing on a U47. Yeah, I mean, you could try it, but then you should listen to, you should record, and we did this on tons of Rick projects for years and still do for the most part, where we'll have five or six different microphones and have a singer mm-hmm. sing on each. We keep the same mic pre. We don't change cool. that, but we'll change yep. each microphone. We don't right. change, we'll change the level if it's necessary, yeah, but we'll yeah. go from an SM7 to a U67 to a C12, cool. maybe a C12A, maybe mm-hmm. a 251, and maybe a okay. U47. Okay. And then maybe a rib, uh, a, a, a Royer 121 or, right a four, on. or an RCA yeah. 44. For sure. And then, and those are pretty drastic sonic Huge. qualities. Huge. But Especially then come ones. in with uh-huh. the vocalist and mm-hmm. listen to them and not tell them which one's which and just... Nice. Yeah. You sing it in the song, like just yes. the first verse, and like, which one do you like? Because mm-hmm. you at that point, you're deciding with your ears, not with yeah. your eyes. I like that. I like that. It's, That's something I, I think a lot about with plugins, because they have those fancy graphic user interfaces, but sometimes they sound like crap. And sometimes yeah. the ones that look terrible sound amazing. It's Absolutely. Like, just got to turn off my eyes a little bit so I can actually assess what's going on here. And there's also something to be said for just putting a plugin on a track... Mm-hmm. and not doing anything to it, mm-hmm. right? Because like on an AP, because yeah. you do the same thing. You could plug in an API 550 equalizer on a snare drum 
mm-hmm. and you will hear on, on the insert of a channel, and you'll hear the difference without actually engaging. If you just engage mm-hmm. the EQ but don't cut or boost any yeah. signals, right. you can right. hear the difference. Yep. Plugins are emulated to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I have been in situations where I'm mixing and I just needed, I don't, just a little something mm. to mm. add a little bit more character and I can put a plug in on and like, oh, there it is. But I'm not doing really, I'm not doing anything. It's just sitting yeah. there. Yeah. There's a sound there. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, I, I you have to be that. open, you have to be open to listen to it and make <laughs> sure <laughs> we we get distracted by the visual aspect of things. Of course, of course. And I think that there's, there's, uh, a benefit to you know mixing on a console that um, can make it more tactile and also maybe like limit your options and also have everything running through those transformers. So it it there that's something that I I've yet to do, but I someday I really want to because I've watched people do it. I've gone in the studio and I've assisted and stuff, um, but it just seems like there's another layer of mojo and tactile feedback and. That that why, why don't we skip to mixing a little bit? Let's let's okay. talk a little bit about processing sure. this audio. Um, what's your preferred preferred way of of like you know budget be damned? What what and and I want you to mix. Let's let's say a rock band that, yeah. that you recorded. Um, what would you? Where would you start? What would you want to um, do? With, where would you want to do it? And, and how would you approach it? <laughs> the dream. The, the yeah, ultimate the dream. dream. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it, obviously. I think. Uh, I mean, I have my own my own ideas, uh, mm-hmm. and and I, I know, and that's what we're asking here. Um, <laughs> but also, I think it's important about the artist and what they want too, right? Oh, cool. It's comfortability yeah, and Very also something yeah. that is inspires performances. Okay. Um, I might like to work in a studio that maybe somebody else doesn't like working okay. in because they may yep. have a bad yep. memory. Sure. So I got to take that right. into consideration, right? But uh, yeah, all no those parking. be damned, right? <laughs> uh, we want it because ultimately we're, we're capturing magic, right? Yes. Or lightning in yes. a bottle, however you want to uh-huh. phrase it. Mm-hmm. Um, we want our artists to be inspired. We want them to pull out great performances. We want, we want it to sound finished and inspired with intention, Yes. Um, and emotion, right? I mean, because yes. there's one thing, if you play a song way too many times, you just, you can oh, tell yeah. people don't care anymore, right? They're just, they totally. got to get, they got, they're ready to be done. They want to go home, whatever uh-huh. it is. They want to, they don't want to play the song anymore. It's time to knock it on the head and go home, you know, and come mm-hmm. back tomorrow and attack, attack mm-hmm. it again. But that being said, um, I mean, yeah, ideally, I, I love working on consoles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neve 8068 is my oh. favorite, or an mm-hmm. 8028. Uh, something class A uh, yeah. with obviously, you know, great microphones too. Mm-hmm. But, and I love all of that stuff. And I've been fortunate, very lucky and fortunate to have done that for a large portion of of my career. And uh, not everybody gets those, but I like both actually. Um, cool. I like mm-hmm. working, I love working on a console so I can process things. I love combining okay. and bussing microphones together to create a sound. If it's yeah, drums, totally. if it's guitars, if it's vocals mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. bass or anything, I love doing that because you you it allows you to have flexibility and allows you to really do things um, that you can't do in the computer because, like you said, transformers, uh, op mm-hmm. amps, you can really carve on an EQ. You can just get super aggressive with pre's and you can insert stuff on, you could drive outboard gear and just really get a lot of harmonic distor- distortion mm-hmm. if that's something you want to do. Um, but I love yes. combining microphones together to committing to a sound, right? On cool. a kick drum, yep. I definitely want to mm-hmm. combine mm-hmm. inside, outside mic. 
Um, snares, I want to combine snares as well to make it. So when cool. I pull up the fader on a kick drum, it sounds like the mm-hmm. kick drum. I don't nice. want to fiddle yeah. with the balance right. of the two mics, et cetera. I want to commit that uh, yep. as quickly as possible. Um, yep. And then I love doing those things um, mm-hmm. so I can kind of shape and mm-hmm. craft the sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also like I like doing it in – I love mixing in the box. I have a console mm-hmm. at home. Uh-huh. I, I use as processing, uh, printing things through. I can stick a distortion mm-hmm. pedal or cool. I got an array of guitar pedals that I'll use as outboard gear too. Love that. You know, inserts yep. and on auxins and do all sorts of fun super stuff as underrated, well. Super underrated trick, and outboard guitar pedal. And and the, the, the pedal market these days is off the chain. I mean, there yeah. are some incredible, incredible sounding guitar pedals now. Um, that are really, really pushing pushing boundaries. I mean, uh, I there are some yep. fantastic manufacturers, and I love that. And I think, actually, it's kind of challenging some of the outboard 19-inch rack gear makers, you know? Like, I agree. Um, I it's agree. a different price point, too. Mm-hmm. You can get a lot more out of a guitar pedal uh, for a lot less cheaper than what you can on some of the 19-inch rack. And, not, and that's not to slide against... The 19-inch folks, because there's some really fantastic gear being made on the microphone level, on the compression level, Mm -hmm. uh, on the equalizer level as well, on pro gear. Uh, Yeah. It seems like the options now today are not anything what they were 25 years ago. Uh, Oh, I agree. And I I also think the quality of that stuff is amazing, you know. And and the controls. I mean, now you can have all of this analog gear that can be digitally controlled, and that was just – I saw that at AES and, like – 2019 or something 2018 seeing a lot of that that change yeah like, okay that's that's a nice future because you're getting the best of both worlds Abs- now. absolutely absolutely <laughs> you are um but anyhow back to your question uh, yeah. i love doing that on the console and cool. and working that way but okay. i also i also mixing on the console i still mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. but sometimes budget and time constraints Yes. Doesn't allow for it, depending yes. on what you're doing, how you're doing it in, in the budget and time that you have to do it. So sometime in, in, you know, DAWs have gotten so, mm-hmm. so much better sounding as well as converters and, mm-hmm. and everything in between. So I love working in the box as well. And I, mm-hmm. I mix, I do a lot in the box. Like I said, I'll use the console for, I can bring things up and stem things out and use it yep. as a summing mixer. Cool. Uh, I do that. I can use it as a guitar pedal where I'm just combining a bunch of stuff and printing it back in. Yep. Um, and then, but I kind of have a hybrid setup on the mix side of things. I'm like doing that. a lot of mixing in the box mm-hmm. and then I'm mm-hmm. coming out of my DAW and going into a rack of outboard gear. That's usually a compressor, an EQ. I have a tube stage that I could use. Cool. I have a pair of transformers i can run through as well like some old western nice. electric transformers as well if i wanted to do that oh that's awesome um and then i and for, then i just print that back in okay that, that, that was my next question so are you are you doing that for like individual tracks uh stems or are you doing that as like your your two mix your your master bus or all two, mix, two mix two yeah, mix yeah my master bus cool. is all yep. out of the box and then i'm printing cool. back in for uh for the two mix i'm printing back Great. in so i can compare so if i have a okay. revision yeah i can uh-huh. listen to the mix you know, mm-hmm. and then make changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm always printing back into the session. Nice. Uh, always done that. I've always done that. So yeah. uh, I find it's easier, uh, more flexible oh, to sort of do awesome. it that way. That, I mean, that that's that's something when I, you know, if I get a 
another sync check or what you know that's that's my next like level up is having some stuff that i can print my two mix out to so i'm not just having to throw my you know waves ssl compressor and all which is fun. great i use it's that good. too it's good uh, it's, it's a great it, compressor phenomenal sounding comp- i mean it's my favorite <laughs> yeah. best yeah. bus compressor yeah yeah the, the ssl I use that thing, put that shit on everything. <laughs> <laughs> Another big fan, I'm a big fan uh, of, uh, do you know the Massey 200, 2007? Uh, I don't think so, no. Amazing limiter, amazing yeah? limiter, yeah, yeah. Uh, Massey, M-A-S-S-E-Y, he makes fantastic stuff. Uh, that limiter is, it's like a mastering limiter. Cool. Um, and even if you're not doing a whole lot to it, just very uh-huh. little makes a big okay. difference. It's fantastic. Awesome. I What's, use that oh, as well. This, this is a good question. What's your um, what's your take on how quiet of a mix to deliver to a mastering engineer? Um, well, quiet. I do two things. Uh, sure. Well, I always so when I'm mixing, and I'm doing like just straight up two mix stuff. I always print mm-hmm. a loud bus, oh, a, okay. se- a separate track that's got like an L two on it for loudness, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and those are things that I typically kind of you know, give to band members f- mm-hmm. because it's loud. Yeah. And I, it, people don't like the mystery of mastering. They want it, they want it to be loud. They want it to mm-hmm. be competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get it. I understand. Not everyone mm-hmm. is a record maker. Just because you're a musician right. doesn't mean that, you know, you don't get to hear things loud and that you should hear it, you know, not mastered. So I try to, yes. and I don't spend a lot of time on it. Just make sure that's loud so that, if they're going to listen in between a bunch of other songs, the levels are pretty similar. Totally. Totally. But on, uh, but the mastering engine, I don't like, uh, I don't like a loud, super crushed mm-hmm. mixes unless the band wants it, unless somebody yep. likes it. I myself like to have some headroom. Me too. Uh, I like to have, you know, some headroom for the mastering engineer to do his thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you take away, we take away that headroom and now they don't have a ton of, stuff to work with because they don't they don't and (laughs) and unless you unless that like i said unless that is a specific desire and you tell the Mm -hmm. mastering engineer look we square waved everything (laughs) this is intentional but i still need you to do x y and c on this right Mm -hmm. um but typically i try to i try to keep it within a, a normal realm um and I don't mind getting it loud. I definitely no. want my mixes to be competitive as well because I don't mm-hmm. want, again, I don't want anyone to have questions about mystery of is it too mm-hmm. quiet or is it too loud or, or what mm-hmm. have you. Um, so I feel good about having it at a competitive level, but I always like to have a conversation with the mastering engineer too ahead of time because cool. yeah. I definitely need to know his scheduling and what or she could be he or she, what their scheduling is and what their time frame is. And then what, uh, and I also like to kind of send them something rel- just before we finish the wrap up, the final, just to give them an idea oh, okay. of That's what cool. we're working on so yeah, that yeah, they're yeah. not blindsided also. Like, and mm-hmm. I, and, and I'm talking about professional mastering engineers, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. guys and typically guys that I have relationships with, yeah. So we're already we're already familiar with one another's work, and it's like, you hey, can you have a bring. listen to this yeah. and just, yep. you know, it, it also depends what what the project is. You know, um, sure. maybe somebody sure. doesn't want me to send any a pre mastering out, you know, or anything mm-hmm. like that. But mm-hmm. I kind of like to get them involved a little bit, like, okay, yeah, yeah I want to do this. I got this new thing. I want to try this. Here's what mm-hmm. I'm hearing, and we definitely have conversations about it. If 
their input is allowed to get uh, yeah. creative with it. Sometimes, sure. no, just do just do vary your your minimum. You know, light mm -hmm. EQ, light compression. Mm -hmm. You know, those kinds of things. Everything has a variable, but uh, yeah, that's kind of the way I like to approach it. I like to definitely use guys that I know and have the relationships and uh, have conversations with them and go have a back and forth. But typically, mm -hmm. there aren't a lot of revisions. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. pretty quick. Right. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Once, once it gets to that stage, um, just before that stage, I want to, I want to ask you a question. Um, this is for me. Um, so in terms of taking a collection of instruments and turning it into a mix, gluing everything together, yeah. um, how much like parallel processing do you do? Is it mostly like that two mix or are you like sending, you know, drums and, and bass together and gluing them together? Are you gluing all the guitars together? How, how do you typically, <laughs> uh, obviously every mix is a little bit different, but yeah. how do you typically envision kind of the aspect of glue, parallel compression, parallel saturation, parallel EQ, all that good stuff? Yeah, I do all of that. Uh, cool. it all, it all depends on the genre of music and the style mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. on what, how you're doing it. But yeah, I, I definitely do parallels on not the entire drum set. I like okay. to, uh, I don't, you know, and there's a whole diff several different schools of thought on how everybody for sure. does their stuff. Totally. But for me, um, I typically like everything coming live. I say mm -hmm. live coming out of the same, I have a mix bus yep. and I have everything coming out of the mix bus. And then I spin off and do parallels. And okay. I typically treat my kick and snare drums. I do punches. Mm -hmm. I do a thing mm -hmm. called punch. I do a thing called length. Um, I do a thing called smash. Um, and any number of any number of items in the drum set may or may not get those. Typically, okay. I'm trying to get a little, you know, and and those fader levels, those mm -hmm. fader levels, kind of, they're never the same. I might drive mm -hmm. a compressor or a distortion really hard but bring the level way down so that it's just mm -hmm. i'm maybe getting a db out of the whole thing on, on the final cool. mix yep. or or whatever uh but i definitely i definitely process kick and snares sometimes toms definitely rooms if needed yeah um yeah. sometimes cymbals to make excitement okay. um maybe i'll use them in the chorus maybe i don't mm -hmm. maybe i only use them in the bridge cool um yep. And uh, those kinds of things. Same bass, obviously, uh, mm -hmm. is dependent on on how that part's being played. I definitely mm -hmm. do a uh, processing thing. I'm usually trying to warm it up. But if okay. it's an aggressive thing, then I'm yep. using some distortion. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really like to carve out heavy EQ mm -hmm. unless it needs it. If it's something mm -hmm. that's very specific. Mm -hmm. And even and sometimes even a lot of compression on a parallel mm -hmm. just tucked in is just all it mm -hmm. needs to. Yes. Just very tucked in at the very bottom. Yeah. Um, and then vocals or, or guitars, I definitely do processing on guitars, a lot of mm -hmm. parallels. But, mm -hmm. it, again, it depends. But I'm doing a, a side – not a side chain, but I'm doing some parallel compression, sometimes mm -hmm. aggressive, sometimes soft mm -hmm. just to kind of lift it in spots. Keep that um, body in. Yeah. Side mm -hmm. EQ as well. Mm -hmm. um, if not okay. distortion or even uh -huh. reverb and delay throws. Okay. Um, yep. I try not to get really aggressive with the tracks because then you start okay. getting phase issues on exactly. just things pokey or too yep. dark and so forth. So um, I typically, and I typically throw on the parallel stuff after I've kind of got a pretty solid balance going on. Okay. I kind of want to hear it. Sense. I want to, I, I obviously I've gone, I've heard rough mixes. I've got the refs, but I kind of want to get a balance and panning 
mm-hmm. as quickly as possible to get the track mm-hmm. really kind of flying mm-hmm. and then figure out, okay, this changes are happening here. We need to jump here. We need to duck down here. Then yes. I'll start adding my processing to kind of, I don't really have like a factory where everything kind of right. gets the same thing. Yeah. Um, I'll start doing that after I kind of get everything bounced. Then I'll maybe mute some things and focus on the drums a little bit and then feel how sure. that fits with the bass, other yeah. rhythmic sections, and then focus on guitars and vocals and, and mm-hmm. then start kind of applying and, and, and messing with things. Yeah, and I don't really do a whole lot to the uh-huh. stereo bus. I mean, okay. I have my normal. I yep. do have a cookie-cutter Mm-hmm. lack of a better term, but I have kind of a standard mm-hmm. that I use because I want all the songs to sound the same yeah, uh, coming on the course. mix chain. So I yep. don't really change that. I calibrate it every every time mm-hmm. I print, you know, mm-hmm. kind of have to to make sure that's all good. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't really, yeah, I don't really dig in really hard on the individual tracks, but on the processing, it's kind of anything goes. And that's really yeah. where the fun can kind of uh-huh. happen, you know, because totally. you might be using it on the verses or just in sections of songs to, like create, to create excitement or to create yes. just something you don't know, but it really feels good, you yeah, know, if I, it's a rhythmical I, thing. I like that um, that perspective. And I also think that that's one of the benefits of In the Box is you have a lot more control of let's let the song evolve in this way. Let's get really specific with automation and saying, like you were saying, like second verse, let's let's bring in this this delay and this reverb and stuff. And then into the br- bridge, let's have it build in there with some parallel saturation or compression or whatever, sure. lifting you through. So I that, that's kind of what I, what I see as the alternative benefit of In the Box is the specificity, the automation, being able to do all the things that your hands couldn't possibly do all in real time. <laughs> Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, you work on things, maybe you're, you know, maybe you spent all day on it. Maybe mm-hmm. you're at the end of the day. Maybe you finished a mix earlier in the day and you're starting up a new track and it's coming together really quickly and you had some leftover ideas on the other one. And so, but, and you brought, you imported those settings in as well. Like mm-hmm. this really worked well for this vocal on this last thing or the guitars. Yes. I'm going to do yes. the same thing here. It's similar song, mm-hmm. but you're kind of tired and mm-hmm. you're kind of like, I don't even, I can't tell the force from the trees anymore. <laughs> yes. yes. And you can put it away and you can go have dinner or do something else and not work for the rest of the night and then come back in the morning and listen with fresh ears. Mm-hmm. And you can tell if it worked or not, mm-hmm. or you're like, oh, this was much better than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Let's, and it's all there. You yes. can adjust the automation. You can mm-hmm. redo it. Um, you can take it a bit further if you want, or maybe pull it back, whatever. But mm-hmm. I love having that flexibility. Obviously, you can do that on a big console as well with automation. My console doesn't <laughs> have automation. So I'm doing all the automation in the box if I'm mm-hmm. stemming it all out on the on the desk. Mm-hmm. Just um, oh, sorry. For listeners, automation is is where you're you're automating the way that these levels are changing. So things get louder or quieter, or it pans to left or right ear, these little things. That's all just catch all is automation, just in case anyone. Yeah, can. that's right. You're moving yeah. the face. Uh, yeah, well, in Pro Tools, you can automate the panning and and yeah. equal. Equaliz- equalizers go popping in and out and it, yep. yeah anything uh yeah absolutely so it's literally automated for you once you make and write those moves um and i love i love that in the box it's so easy yep. it's so quick it's instantaneous mm-hmm. and it's always going to be there i don't have to worry about mm-hmm. synchronization issues or the right. computer failed we got to reboot mm-hmm. the computer uh or anything like that that like you had on the on the old consoles you know yes yes 
And that's that's a that is a beautiful thing. It really um, is. <laughs> one one bonus question because we're we're talking this. Um, I've never worked with tape. I've worked okay. with, um, you know, plugins that emulate what tape does. Sure. Um, how much how, how much do you think those plugins are getting it versus not getting it? Like the mojo of tape, like throwing like a UAD Studer um, onto onto a track or whatever, versus actually going in there and and doing it yourself what as somebody that is has experience like i'm just curious your perspective there that's a good question i've never really i've never really a would them back to yeah, back yeah, yeah. honestly totally you know and, and I, that's even a, with that just I like should, the, the feeling it gets, that, that would be a curious test but yeah. i'm just curious like your your experience your feeling of like ah oh, this doesn't quite have the mojo or this this is capturing it or i should uh, i should do that uh and uh-huh. the thing with me on tape certainly is more about the uh the transient aspect okay. Okay. Uh, on actually so working the, the with way, tape. The way that it hits, the, 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 the those attacks and those releases. The yeah. yeah. Um, because you're getting the tape compression there. You know, mm, you're getting second and third. You know, and with the analog stuff, you get the second and third harmonic distortion and mm-hmm. going through all of that stuff as well. So it's it's mm-hmm. a little different. I think those plugins are great. And there's a couple of... there's a, I use a McDSP... Um, who makes the other one? There's one. Uh, there's a silver one. Um, uh, I can't think of who makes the other tape emulation. I don't have the UAD stuff, so I, I'm not mm-hmm. familiar with uh, with the UAD. But somebody makes another one that I've used from time to time, and I, I don't often reach for those. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, they're cool for character things, but I, I exactly. don't often reach for yeah. them um, unless it's something that calls for it. But mm-hmm. uh, what I often or what I love about tape is uh, what it does for transient stuff. So s- things like cymbals okay. really yeah. smooth them out, make them warm, mm. um, and still retaining the clarity, you know, still retaining yes. the, that, that crisp top end. It, so- it rounds and soothes them out, and I know everyone okay. has said that. That's good. Uh, so you've That's not good. heard that, yep. but you, you definitely uh-huh. have heard that before. Uh-huh. Uh, but it also does something to, you know, a snare drum. Uh, a crack mm-hmm. of a snare drum is... You know, you it, it, it'll do something. And also that depends on the tape you're using and it depends the mm-hmm. calibration or the alignment in which you're using. So how hard sure. is your your tape deck calibrated to hit it? And then how hard are you digging? How hard are you pushing those levels yes. on the tape? Are you burying the meters, uh-huh. you know, or are you just barely hitting them? Because that's going to make a big difference too. Absolutely. Um, I don't subscribe to either Mm-hmm. Uh, for a specific reason, uh, again, there's that age-old question: Does tape sound is analog versus yeah. digital? Like, we're not going to have that discussion today. We, we don't um, have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> but it, because I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter as long as a, an emotional performance gets captured. That's yes. what it is all about. It's about the music, you know. Um, I but when I was on. When I was on Chili Peppers over lockdown, we did everything on tape. Yeah, you know, mm. the whole the whole both of those double records were made on tape. Everything, and it was fun to do that. Yes. Um, but it also uh, it reminded me of of kind of the the time it takes. You got to rewind mm. back. Uh-huh. Uh, you got to fast forward. You got to put a reel up. If a mm. band's hot, and mm. you've and you've just done two or three takes in a row, and you need to switch reels, that's a five to ten minute. Pause. Mm -hmm. You got to spin it off, put the other one up, get it back on, you know, and hopefully you've 
Maybe you've prepped the reels to have leader tape on the front. You're storing it, you know, heads out so you can just thread it on and get going. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it takes a couple of minutes and the band may not, or any band, not just them, yeah, but any sure. band may not want to wait. Yes. In Pro Tools, you're, you just, in the glo- you're in the groove. You're like, I've I've found my flow state. I want to, yep. We're rolling. Keep it going. We're or, rolling. Or just loop, loop record that. <laughs> it's just. Well, and, and in those, coming right back. when I'm recording or when we are yeah. recording, not just me, but when we're recording live bands, I, we mm-hmm. like to record on the whole timeline. Cool. We don't we don't do nice. loop record. No playlist, not no. playlisting, no, just going. No, because, cool. yeah, because I don't have uh-huh. to worry about flipping things. It's yep. less things to do. We're recording on the timeline to get a master take so we can hear them all in a row. Because nice. that timeline, mm-hmm. th- the timeline doesn't really become an issue or become standard until we get the master take. Then okay. we got the master. We don't do anything. Then we'll start recording overdubs in Over that. that same. Then we'll start playlisting. But as gotcha. we're recording a live band, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. We don't want to flip like through that. anything. We yeah. it's less to do, right? We exactly. just hit record That's and let point. it run. Yes. So there's no accidental pilot error. Somebody uh-huh. hit something or did something wrong or this track didn't mm-hmm. go into record. Mm. Everything's in record, and we—I mm-hmm. don't even—I forget how many hours you have now on Pro Tools to record on the top playlist. Oh, it's yeah, it's very—it's yeah, now. it's super long. Yeah. <laughs> so we're never going to run out of that. And in yeah. also that being said, mm-hmm. that's we try to do that by song. So each song mm-hmm. gets its own Pro Tools session. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. But totally makes it better. but if they're like, hey, we just finished up a song, we did like mm-hmm. three takes. Like I don't want to do this anymore. Let's do another one. Okay, ready? Two, three, four. You just let it roll. Just let it roll. You know, yep, they're just exactly. going to run right into it. We can put that into its own yeah, song virtual session no later yep. if Important we need to. Data. Yeah, exactly. Good. Yeah, I like that. So, I like that. yeah. I feel like that's a that's actually a really good place for us to kind of kind of wrap it up here because I loved what you said about it's all in service of getting that emotional performance. Everything I, we talked about. the whole, What snare drum, what kick drum what uh tape analog board in the box it's all about that absolutely and i love having those discussions and i love having those tools available yeah of course uh, not to diminish them and yeah. also i was talking with someone the other day you don't have to have you know a major five star sunset boulevard recording studio to make <laughs> a great recording now and i don't want to in i don't want to take away from those studios because mm-hmm. we need we do need them for orchestras and, and big rock oh bands um yes. but you don't need them um but I, I love that they're still here and they're my favorite places to work um but if you don't have a budget if you're an up-and-coming artist you're an up-and-coming producer you're an up-and-coming songwriter you don't need to spend you know that kind of money to go in and demo out your song you can do it we all have software comes on your phone now you know mm-hmm. garage bands on your phone we have laptops we have everything so uh, even if you have a four-track Tascam cassette recorder, like you can still do it, you know. <laughs> yes. um, but at the end of the day, it's always about the music. It's always about yeah. the performance. It's always about yeah. the songs. And that's what people are going to relate to. And mm-hmm. people who don't work in music are creative arts and they do something else for a living and they love music that listen to and purchase music. They don't know if the vocal was recorded on a 47, U47, or if it was recorded at Sunset Sound or East West. And most likely, that doesn't matter to them either. It's the music and does it transport them the way the music was written to transport them? And do they benefit by being a listener and getting what they need out of it? 
Yes. That's the most important thing at the end of the day. And I love talking about all the tools and the ways that we make mm-hmm. records and the, the craft that goes behind it. Obviously, I chose that as a career, or more importantly, uh-huh. it chose me. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it always is about the service of the music and service of the song and what the creators of that music are doing to make sure that that emotional content comes through the way that it needs to. And... Um, that's all we're really trying to do is 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 keep that intact and and keep moving forward and keep creating music. Mm-hmm. And and part of that is having professionals like yourself that get it, and then have the courage to say, "Let's keep the scratch vocal." You know those those decisions. It's like that's where the song is. I watched a documentary a while back, uh, Fleetwood Mac Rumors. Cool. There's, I don't remember which is the making of the record behind the music or something, mm-hmm. one of those. And I didn't know this. And I think Ken Calliott, who was the engineer on the record, said that on. Uh, oh, what song is it? Rhiannon. And that may be on the record before um, before rumors. But it was one of those songs. It was on the rumors documentary. So it's one of the songs mm-hmm. on there that Stevie Nicks. Mm-hmm on one of her songs, Mm -hmm. they kept her original scratch vocal Mm. in a couple of the verses because she couldn't beat it. Mm. She, she, they beat it by sounds, but they couldn't beat the emotional performance. And she was in the room. I think there's, you know, all kinds of bleed in the mic and stuff. And they just, they couldn't, they, she couldn't beat the performance and Mm -hmm. they kept it. And it's like, that is, that is crucial. That's most important. And if there's bleed in the microphone, well, then you know that it was, that's fine because you actually mm-hmm. performed it that way. And that's not a bad yeah. thing. You know, no. and some, sometimes if you listen uh-huh. to old records, uh-huh. you can hear guys in the live room counting the band off yes. at a breakdown or at a bridge uh-huh. or at a stop. And as a younger listener, before I got into making records, I never really knew I mean, I always thought it was a guys in a band, but like you never uh, really, you didn't hear that until you started paying attention a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would hear guys count off and do things. And it's like, oh, wow, yeah. So he was in the live room, but the mm-hmm. guitars don't, the guitars sound different. The vocals sound different than the drums. So, you know, as they mm-hmm. start overdubbing and piecemealing the records together, you start figuring those out once you become a record maker. But I love those little things. But, um, but yeah, if you can't beat an emotional performance, someone had said the other day about the difference in the demo what the demo is now compared to like mm. the final record. And it's like, mm. we don't really have to, de- there are no rules about that anymore. No. The demo can become the the song that's out on the radio. Yes. Literally, yes. you know? Um, mm-hmm. So there is no real distinction anymore because mm-hmm. if that emotional content is there and the performance is there, mm-hmm. what you can try and beat it all day long, but do you actually beat it? Just because it sounds good, doesn't mean that yeah. you've beat it yes so that's yeah. it man that's it that's the statement that's the mic drop right there <laughs> phil thank you thank for you. joining joining thank us and, and sharing all of this wisdom that was really great where where could they uh find some of your work uh maybe instagram or website or anything like that where would yeah be a great uh yeah, websites uh you know i have a website uh <laughs> you can reach me there philipbroussardjr.com there's just a couple of silly photos and then an email address but if anybody has yeah wants to reach out i'm on instagram as well um this all the socials facebook uh philip broussard jr um yeah I'm uh, I'm out and about. I'm just like sure. everybody else making records, man.
making music. Doing I what love you it. Love. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully, this podcast for the listeners made you love music more. Um, that's the Thank name. Thank you of the for podcast having me. After it's my pleasure. This is great. I had, I had a great I time. Really, this again. very well, fun. I feel like we've got a million more things to talk about, so I, I would love to do this again sometime. Please, um, let's. So let's let's definitely keep in contact and and you know make some music together and all that good stuff. So love to. Um, w- once again, my name is Scubert Dubert. You can check out my music at scubertdubert.pizza, www.scubertdubert.pizza. And uh, be sure to subscribe and rate the pod five stars so that people can find this these awesome conversations and that we can keep doing them. So thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye now. Thank you. <laughs>